This is Artist Soapbox. Through interviews and original scripted audio fiction, we deliver stories that speak to your hearts and your minds. Hello, Soapboxers. What an honor to be part of this new season and for the opportunity to bring these discussions and ideas to the Artist Soapbox community. As ever, we really appreciate your comments and feedback and invite you to send us an email or interact with us on social media. We're really looking forward to hearing your thoughts. On today's episode, I'm talking with artist and educator Lewin Joy Sherman. I connected with Lewin through the School of the Alternative, an immersive, non-hierarchical learning environment that seeks to, and I'm quoting here, create conditions necessary for a present-day community of pioneering artists and critical thinkers. Throughout our conversation, you may hear Lewin and I refer to the School of the Alternative by its acronym, SODA. Lewin has been involved with SODA since 2016 as a board member, faculty member, and more. During this year's SODA session, Lewin facilitated a class titled Fertile Fear, As soon as I read the description, I knew I needed to be part of the class. It said, Starting at the location of our fear to identify fertile creative possibilities. A class focused on making friends with fear and avoidance and using these instructive feelings as a door into our true desires. Compassion, vulnerability, emotional safety, and community support are the ideal ingredients for accessing bravery. We'll discuss dimensions of fear, the power of vulnerability, and create guidelines for how we can cultivate bravery together. The class will culminate in each participant identifying a fear, naming what you need to transform it, and practicing leaning into that fear with our support. As you may imagine, fertile fear was a rich topic to dive into in a group of creative souls each with their unique sensitivity and lived experience that they brought with them into the room. Though we may not have addressed this explicitly in the conversation you're about to hear, Lewin and I both wanted to make sure that we acknowledged that many people in our communities experience fear due to external systems of oppression and control that impact them directly. And even within our trusted communities, each individual has points of identity that position them differently depending on the scope of the conversation, the individuals involved, and many other factors. It's all incredibly personal, and yet we also all seem to have our own fear narratives, especially with regard to our creative practices. One of the tools Lewin shares in this episode is what he calls his daily practice identifying things that he needs to connect with on a daily basis to help him feel emotionally, physically, and creatively healthy. We'll talk about how his daily practice came to be, how it was received in creative community, and the tendency that can creep in around using tools like this as a form of self-judgment. We'll link to a few images of the daily practice that both Loon and I have engaged in over the years if you're feeling inspired to try this for yourself. And now a bit about my guest, Lewin Joy Sherman, he, him, is a white, queer, transmasculine, neurodivergent artist, writer, performer, teacher, and energy worker. He works with School of the Alternative, an experimental art school world-building project located in Black Mountain, North Carolina, as a community facilitator and board member. He's taught four classes at SOTA, Fertile Fear, 
physical education, the joy of having a body, how to not know, and queering masculinity. Lewin earned an MFA in sculpture from the School of the Art Institute of Chicago in May 2020 and is certified in compassion cultivation, mental health first aid, and as a trauma support specialist. On behalf of the Artist Soapbox team, I am pleased to bring you my conversation with Lewin Joy Sherman. Please enjoy. Lewin, I am so excited to talk with you today and to bring all of your amazing thinking processes and just the amazing human that you are to our listeners at Artist Soapbox. So thank you so much for being here. Yes, thank you so much for having me. I feel like it's a real honor to like share the space and in the thought and the energy and all that. It's just it's life-giving. Well, and on that note, I just want to jump right into this amazing class that you taught at School of the Alternative called Fertile Fear. And, you know, when I read this course description, I was like, well, that's where I need to be. And that was even before I had met you. And once we met, it was so clear to me that like this this was a, a really valuable place to be and a process to, to be among. So mm. I'm, I'd love to hear you share a little bit about how you were inspired to create this course and, and talk about your experiences with fear. Oh my God. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. This class was really terrifying for me, <laughs> of course, really appropriate to the theme. It was a scary thing to bring into the space of now and started, I think the idea for me started with like a kernel back in February where I got invited by a friend of mine in Chicago who runs this like really incredible art collective slash gallery slash project called Holly and the Neighbors, or it might just be the neighbors. They invited me to do this performance, could do anything I want virtually. And I've been working through for the past couple months, I mean, and many years, honestly, my extreme fear of singing in front of people. I sing all the time. It's like one of my favorite things to do. It's life-giving, in love with it, but it's not something that I bring really to anyone else. So uh, I spent <laughs> some time in February before the show, like really sitting with myself and, and feeling so clearly pulled to take the opportunity to sing. And I was terrified. But I heard this really incredible talk from this woman, Barbara Schur, I think, Cher or Schur. But she does all this research on like isolation and, you know, our true passions and our love and, and what our actual gifts are. And one of the things she says is that like the antidote to fear is love and connection. Mm-hmm. Even just naming it, even just telling people I'm I'm terrified of X, Y, or Z. So took this opportunity to really face that fear. And I just, it was so deeply transformative. And what I brought into that performance for the first time was like a full admission that I was terrified and that fear would be a part of the performance, like that people were going to see it in my body, hear it in my voice. Like I'm telling you right now how afraid I am, you know, and it, it like undercut (laughs) all of the, well, most of the anxiety of doing the thing, you know? Because I wasn't trying to perform like I wasn't afraid. I love that so much. You know, this, I'm I'm terrified, everyone. I just mm-hmm. want to go ahead and say that and not try to overcome or overcompensate, I guess, for mm-hmm. I can't let anybody know that I'm scared. I can't, like, what if my voice cracks? It's like, it's going to. 
So I'm right. just going to embrace that and ask you all to just be here with me in that. Yeah. And it kind of like one of my least favorite things maybe as an Aquarius is like to for other people to witness things about me that I can't see. And I'm I'm convinced they can't see it, right? Or this kind of like certainty that it feels like kind of unreasonable to think that people wouldn't pick up on the fact that I'm afraid and somehow absorb that in their experience of the performance, right? And so if I don't name it, it's there no matter what. It's just now a huge distraction. Mm, yeah. Yep. <laughs> uh-huh. And so how did it feel once you said that out loud and then presumably just stepped into the performance zone? How did it change things for you? Yeah, I mean, I feel like it's important to frame this as like, I did step into the performance zone in a new way that was terrifying, but also not without like a ton of flotation device and like support to do it. So the setting itself being really supportive, it was virtual, the way that I brought myself into it, and the way that I set up the performance. So I made sure that it was like with material that I had sung a 1000 times, this was not going to be like, a growth edge upon a growth edge upon a you know, like, (laughs) sometimes we like, when we think about fear, we think about having to go to the ultimate and resolve the whole thing, you know, like it needs to be like, okay, I've conquered it, which yeah, really just kind of, I felt myself retreating from from the risk, the more pressure I put on it. So to step into it, and then to find myself supported by the stuff that I had been doing this whole time, I was like, in the moment reminded that I had earned this with my hard work and reminded in my sharing of the fear that like, it was okay to begin to just be at the beginning. Yes. And it also felt tremendous. Like the performance itself went really well. And like people responded to this part of myself that I hadn't been sharing with anyone. And they responded with like open arms and love. And I think it helped me just like, you know, the whole purpose of that for me, it was both a performance and a fear exercise because it was about breaking the seal, which is something that we talked about in my class around like how we approach fear in a reasonable way. Thank you for setting that up so perfectly to sort of segue Mm. into the class. So, you know, coming off of this experience where you openly shared your fear, allowed fear to be present and part of the experience, now take us through how you started to think about putting this class together and what elements were important to, to include. Yeah, well, because it's such a potent thing for all of us, like even the title itself is kind of like, can stimulate fear, you know, it's like curiosity, but also like a little stress. It's a shared energy. So part of what I tried to do going into this class was like recognize that, you know, my limitations include not being a mental health professional, not being equipped in the time and setting that we had to like provide, you know, this isn't an outpatient program, you know, and the topic that we're dealing with is really shared it's really collective. And so it means we can really affect each other easily with just talking about it in ways that we aren't aware of. So going into this, I like started, I think, with my fear of going too deep and my fear of bringing people too deep into the woods and not being equipped. So mm-hmm. I started with like really solid ground rules of like, you know, we talked about like this depth, right? Of like standing in a shallow pool. We're intentionally in the shallow end together. So we can practice a little bit of, you know, vulnerability together, a little bit of fear, a little, like all these things in moderation and get out of this sense of like 
in order to address my fear, I have to be at one extreme or the other. Right. Yeah. So yeah, we, I mean, going through like these shared agreements of like what we can, what we can do. And one of the other things I said was like to practice trust in this space and like to expose yourself with a need, with a fear, with an anxiety, whatever is a lot of trust in the group and trust that it'll be received. I remember too, part of the ground rules that you put forth for the group, or even just a suggestion around that was around boundaries and how boundaries can, like maybe there's safety in boundaries, maybe there's a little safety in distance. And I feel like that kind of gets to this being in intentionally in the shallow end together that mm-hmm. you know we have a limited amount of time and limited availability to dig into these topics mm-hmm. so you know how can we also take care of ourselves and each other yeah i just remember that being a potent moment for me during the setup yeah i think just naming the fact that we all need boundaries in this space and that like every time we talk about boundaries not as a buzzword but as a practice and as a thing that we actually do it helps us figure out what our boundaries are and what the boundaries are in a new space and a new group and what like that we can constantly create safety through communication and we do that through knowing ourselves and and knowing what what a setting is about or you know in the ways that we're able to in this little container of the class, which is its own boundary too, is saying mm-hmm. like, we have three hours, you know, we're going to do X, Y, and Z and boundaries are what keep us safe here. Right. To the best of our ability, because, you know, the other thing that um, felt really important going into this like topic with a group of people who are just meeting for the first time. And soda is such a like open container that brings people from, I mean, it feels very serendipitous the way that we all kind of like end up in this place together. And, you know, we're not going to be able to understand each other's needs, limits, boundaries, blah, 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 in this amount of time. And this is just an exercise in like creating a shallow area for us to sort that out. I remember too, some folks were having a difficult time tapping into the shallow part of it. You know, the, the, Mm -hmm. you know, if you imagine things on a one to 10 scale, like one is maybe a minor annoyance at the grocery store and 10 is like super deep trauma, you know, folks were really connected to the depth of it and uh, really appreciated that Mm -hmm. element of making folks think about how can we take maybe some of these smaller scale things that happen to us and start there instead of jumping way into the deep end with, you know, without this safety net. Right. Yeah. Cause that's the accessible way to think through and work with fear, at least for me has been through like the daily experience of reactivity or, you know, like having something affect you in a way that's like kind of does not make any logical sense. Like that moment when you get sort of extremely rigid about a plan and it's out of character or Mm. someone forgets to text you back and it affects you in an unreasonable way. Like, you know, these sort of like daily ways that we experience stress, they're, they're so abundant. And for me, I have like a lot, I mean, I've been in therapy for such a long time. I've been in dialogue with myself my patterns, my behaviors, whatever, um, to try to create healthier responses, you know, as someone with complex trauma and ADHD. And Mm -hmm. even though that's difficult, it's also given me a ton of emotional tools. 
And, you know, this way of just saying like, let's just do a little bit, let's just do a a bite size. Let's let, you know, this is like a thing that has been given to me as a tool over and over again, working through hard feelings and working through, yeah, you know, self-regulation, learning how to self-regulate. Which itself is its own form of practice, right? You know, I remember some quote, and I will find this quote for the show notes, and and mm-hmm. I will also offer to our listeners anything we mention in here that we can find a resource for it online. It's going to be included in the show notes. But I remember a quote that was to the effect of, happiness is no less of a skill than learning how to play the violin. You know, it's sort mm-hmm. of like, it's a practice. It's something mm-hmm. that you show up for and... Mm-hmm you know, learn these skills around emotion regulation and, you know, how to diffuse, you know, that moment when you don't get that text back and you start to spiral out, <laughs> you know, we've all been there. Right. And this makes me think too, even kind of going back to your, your fear around singing, you know, I think that fear and creativity, you know, these things are so just, I'm kind of smushing my hands together. They're just so mm. smushed together in our minds about, you know, the, the you know whether it's receiving critical criticism whether it's somebody told us something once and we then therefore thought we couldn't do that thing mm-hmm. you know just how intertwined fear can be you know i with tamara the co-host of this podcast i've helped facilitate creativity accountability groups and one of the things we realized kind of to your point was whoa we're going to immediately be getting into like men- the mental health zone And at that time, like, was not qualified to do that. Mm. And so I just, I think it's so fascinating. Maybe we could talk a little bit about these things that take root in our minds, whether it's perfectionism or something harsh that we internalized and how, how these things impede our creative process. Yeah, that's like a really good way to tie into that and also summarize some of like the, yeah, the roots really like how something that happened however long ago, an offhand comment, like something insensitive, whatever. Um, Yeah, like our greatest love and our deepest fears are right next to each other. And I think a lot of that, that's been my own experience. And I think that's like some of the magic and amazing release that I've noticed from um, people when we talk through this stuff. And even in some moments of this class, that when you can sit with a fear it's usually, yeah, it's usually neighbors with this thing that you are really deeply in love with or that really matters to you or is like extremely precious, you know? And so for me, like this fear of, the fear of being heard singing is a complex one, but it has to do with my anxiety that my voice is a burden to other people, which I think like if you, if we like simplify it further, it's like fear of being too much. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then there's like, making sound. So being seen and someone looking at you. And so when I'm working with like, okay, it's a fear of singing, but is it though? Right. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) You know, (laughs) like I love to sing. So I can't even say that it's a fear. I'm absolutely not afraid to sing. I'm afraid to be witnessed. Right. And that's something else. Yes. But I can use singing to work through my fear of being witnessed at the same time. I just love that my brain's going in 55 directions. <laughs> Especially with this creative thing. I mean, yeah, the pathways into uh, new, like like the forms of expression that that are just deeply tied to our heart, whatever that is. I think we have to be able to 
to release fear in order to get into that room with that feeling. Yes, release fear, or maybe even like you did, acknowledge it. Say it's present. It's that whole, yeah. whole like having a cup of tea with it. Here, yeah. come, come sit down. I see you. And oh God, yeah. here, here you are again. And I'm not going to pretend that you're not here because here you are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, I'm wondering if you could share with us if there have been times in your creative past, you know, that you've bumped up against, you know, this idea of not being witnessed or, you know, maybe being witnessed and then having that witnessing kind of go sideways or not really feeling that the people that you were with were understanding how you were showing up. Yeah. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. I mean, the freshest wound, <laughs> definitely grad school. And I, yeah, not totally a wound, you know, but definitely like an eye opener for that kind of how I want to be witnessed, how I'm not being witnessed, what I have to say, what I want to do, all that through my creative practice came through getting an MFA in sculpture. And I still really deeply identify with sculpture. Like, I think it's the core of my practice, and especially in the energy work I do, in the writing and the performance, music, sound, all of it, right? Like, especially writing. I mean, it's just so constructive and building. But uh, when I was in the in the MFA program, that I was in, it was much more, I'll say parts of it were antithetical to who I am. And I didn't know that going in. Parts of the community <laughs> were antithetical, were homogenous, were having a different class experience. There were so many ways that I felt misaligned with that environment while also trying to access like, you know, this deeply powerful creative channel. And I found that it's so much harder to meet fear without emotional, physical, or mental safety. Yeah. Almost impossible. And I yeah. think it also makes it really hard to create work that feels, at least from my own practice, is, is in alignment with me because I need safety in order to, yeah, be able to be in full self-acceptance. And I think that's what I'm trying to do with my creative practice usually. So in that in that sense, it was like, yeah, my experience of grad school was I had a really intense series of life events happen halfway through, and everything kind of fell apart all at once. So into, yeah, my in the summer of, before my second year of grad school, it was a two-year program, I went into an intensive outpatient program, and my focus shifted into the mechanics of care for myself on like a daily level, kind of this like learning how to drive stick shift with, you know, my emotions, my reactions, all this stuff. Um, and so what I did at that point in my, in my experience with grad school, my creative practice turned into a blending of that with care practices. And yeah, it was, it was deeply antithetical to the, what most of my peers were interested in. I'd love if we could dive into this a little bit more, because I definitely want to hear more about the daily care practice that you established for yourself and how you tried to integrate that. Well, it sounds like, you know, you perhaps were able to integrate that with what you were trying to do creatively. Mm. And then the f- kind of factors around you were not really understanding of what, how this would facilitate or have anything to do with the creative process. So I'm just, I'd love if you could share a little more about that. Yeah. One of the things that came out of my outpatient program that was like, truly transformative was the therapist I was working with helped me create 
well, we kind of, we co-designed, it was pretty magical, this thing that I call daily practice that's basically like seven to 10 categories of things that are like essential for daily function that over time, if you neglect them, when I neglected them, everything fell apart over and over and over again. So the daily practice was a way for me to deal with a deep resistance to structure that was imposed outside of me, form one for myself, and establish self-trust. And I think that a couple of those things were not shared problems by my peers, like at least not in the same way. So yeah, I was coming out of like a period of housing instability and that also influenced this daily practice chart to ba- it basically was like okay, food, water, sleep, interact with friends, exercise or move your body, take your vitamins and your medication and, you know, play with your cat. Like those were the categories. And so when I brought <laughs> when I brought that stuff into a critique setting and mind you like I mean they were kind of participating in the language of art school in the sense that like I had made these huge charts on these large pieces of paper with colors and it was just a drawing practice for me at the same time like it just it mm-hmm. naturally became this drawing and this care chart and whatever and I brought these pages I've been working on this I've been doing this practice every single day for like, I think almost three months at this point. And so I brought all of this data to them in these huge drawings. And I had this one critique where like, literally the response was, why should we care about this? And that this work is profoundly boring. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. and I think as a combo of words, so funny to me, like, because there is something profoundly boring about how much labor it takes to support ourselves. It's truly exhausting. It's really tedious, you know? And so I guess they weren't wrong in that sense, but it was also just an inability to connect with, at that point, you know, pre-pandemic, this was like, what, 2019 or something? People were not able to connect with why those daily needs would be so hard to meet without a chart. Right. And for those of us who, you know, I've, I've had my own version of this, and I'm really looking forward to sharing Mm-hmm. sort of a template for this with our listeners, because I think a lot of us can benefit from this. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I've had mine was born out of this like yoga group that I was in. And when I was on it, when I was meditating, when I was, you know, listening to music or, you know, moving my body in kind of a celebratory way, all these things that I had identified as being important, mm. I felt really great. Mm -hmm. And then isn't it funny how in the course of just living life, one by one, these resources tend to fall away if Mm -hmm. we're not like on top of it, because there's always other things to do. There's always other things that we feel we should prioritize Mm -hmm. over resting, over playing, over, Mm -hmm. you know, being with being in community. So I just, it's, you know, I... I actually, I'm, I'm also like, I'm loving that profoundly boring thing. It's like yeah. part of it, like, actually, yeah. And yeah. that's, that's a feature, not a bug. Right. It is exactly. <laughs> it's a feature. No, I'm aware. <laughs> I'm tired of it too. <laughs> and yeah, no, this, this point about, you know, to just be crystal clear about it, like the oppressive systems that we live in, you know, white supremacist capitalists cis patriarchy it's it's deeply supports the the deprivation that yeah it supports deprivation personally and and produces it and expects it and so this system one of my only rules for it 
when I share this tool with people is that, well, there's two rules. One is that you cannot use this tool for self-punishment. You cannot use it for self-abuse and and to the best of your ability, you cannot use it for judgment because Mm. that's where it's going to go immediately. That's what we do with systems naturally. It's like, it's like how we were conditioned, right? Yeah. It's the, oh, here's one more thing I'm not doing. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's, it's ways to feel bad. You know, you could just, Mm -hmm. you could just reproduce that, but the point is to cultivate play, cultivate rest, cultivate forgiveness, self-trust, all this stuff. And that the chart isn't meant to become a rigid thing. I also recommend that it's hand-drawn, people who use this, wherever that is, if it's on the wall or if it's you know in a book or whatever, it just doing it by hand and allowing that very fundamental part of it to be imperfect. Yes. Yes. And you know, just like you did, you using different colors, using just different, how do you check, you know, proverbially check that box? Do you draw a little picture in there? Like all these different things you can do. Yeah. To just, again, like make it fun and make it something that is for you, for your health and well-being, and no other reason really. Yeah. Yeah. And it's armor in in a sense, because I think this was the part that felt most disappointing. So circling back to like the reception of this tool when I first like shared it with people, it was really deeply disappointing to feel like I had failed to deliver the value because I think there was a part of me that knew deeply that this was something that, that most people could find a way to benefit from, but, or that many people needed just looking around me in this, in this community of like extreme exhaustion, overwork, Mm -hmm. you know, an MFA is just like, it's so much. It pulls so much from you. And so that critique, that bad experience really, it motivated me, frustrated me toward finding ways to communicate this in, in, in multiples and through other mediums and other ways to make this work legible. And I'm wondering if, as we think about that, you know, and this piece of, you know, bringing it to a group of people Mm -hmm. ostensibly for feedback you know, I'm just wondering if you could share a little bit some of your thoughts around ways that we could actually start to humanize the feedback process mm. so that it can be, you know, we've talked, you and I have talked about sometimes these, you know, you get this harsh critique or something that can actually really fuel a block inside of you. So how can we, rather than fueling creative blocks among one another, use critique and feedback to help lift up the person Mm. who's creating. That's a really good point. Like, I think a really powerful tool for this is modeling in groups, actually, because what I've noticed is in some of these, these like toxic group critique settings, what's being modeled and what's, it becomes a competition between the people who are critiquing, like it all gets, it gets away from itself, like a runaway train or something. And we can actually just go in the opposite direction when we're modeling for each other ways to engage with work or a problem or someone's fear or someone's vulnerability that are like rooted in compassion, in a desire to build, in a desire to help this person grow, like really just like love in action. Because like someone sharing their work with me, it like it's not really about me. And so it's kind of cruel to then make it about myself 
and leave that person with nothing but doubt. Because I can think of few things that feel more vulnerable than taking some piece of your creativity, whether that's a sculpture or whether it's a piece of writing, and mm. giving it to other people and asking them to tell you what they think of it. It's wow, yeah. that, that part alone has kept me from either doing or sharing work for so much of my life because it's like, I don't, I'm not equipped to withstand the judgment and the criticism. So it's, mm-hmm. I wish mm-hmm. that we had so many more hours to talk about that topic. Cause I really feel like that, you know, there are pockets of, you know, creative zones where people are starting to make these shifts around how feedback is delivered and metabolized. And like, I'm just so here for it. (laughs) Yesterday, like (laughs) the more we can humanize this process, Mm -hmm. because that talk about fear, right? You know, that's just such a, what will people think? What if they really saw this? What would they say? Will I be crushed? Yeah. And it really just cuts off all potential for the work to breathe and have a life. And one of the other things that like really that drove me to bring this class into this space was like this feeling of, I forget where I heard this quote, but it was like, basically that like our expression of our most authentic self and our gifts are what other people rely on to do the same in some sense, because it's this web of actualizing, like, me bringing my gifts into the world is likely going to enable something else. And so putting faith in that connectivity beyond our own awareness and that that can be the purpose of expression is just the trust that like, well, this came to me, I I guess I have to release it because somebody else needs to see this or hear it or be with it or, you know, like that is the most profound, those instances, the most profound experiences I've had with art. And so it's like, rather than arguing about what is or is not art or if it's good or bad is like talking about what's the purpose, you know, Mm. what are you, what are you doing with this in a compassionate way? You know, what do you wish for this? Yeah. Lewin, I could talk to you all day, every day for 65 years and it would never be enough. So I just so appreciate your willingness to join us today and for all these beautiful insights that you've shared with our listeners. Thank you so much for taking the time to dive in. It just, yeah, it's so valuable. Established in 2017, Artist Soapbox is a podcast production studio based in North Carolina. Artist Soapbox produces original scripted audio fiction and an ongoing interview podcast about the creative process. We cultivate aspiring audio dramatists and producers and we partner with organizations and individuals to create new audio content. For more information and ways to support our work, check out artistsoapbox.org or find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. The Artist Soapbox theme song is Ashes by Juliana Finch. <laughs>